Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. come now to the time in our service in which we hear the word of God read. Today our scripture comes from Daniel chapter 3 verses 8 through 18 as we continue and wrap up our rest of the story sermon series. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we pray that as we gather here, that you would just speak to each and every one of us just where we are as we are, whether we're here for the first time, whether we've heard this story before, no matter where you are, where we are, Lord, would you just meet us here? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was getting ready this week um, for this sermon, it should be no surprise to many of you that um, there was a 90s country song rolling around in my head. A good old Garth Brooks song. Let's see if you can uh, know what it is. We call them cool, those hearts who have no scars to show, the ones that never do let go and risk it the tables being turned. We call them fools who have to dance within the flame who chants the sorrow and the shame that always comes with getting burned. But you've got to be tough when consumed by desire, because it's not enough just to stand outside the fire. Standing outside the fire, standing outside the fire. Life is not tried, it is merely survived if you're standing outside the fire. And so anytime I can quote the theologian Garth Brooks in a sermon, it's a good day. 
But there's a lot of truth in this, right? That um, life is not tried, it's merely survived if we're standing outside the, the fire. Um, and, and the fire, though, is something that a lot of us want to avoid. In fact, we are people who really value staying just a safe distance away from the fire. We value comfort. We value normalcy. We value simplicity. And the fire is a tough place to be. And so to me, a fire is a heated situation that you'd rather avoid. And, and I don't know about you, but it seems like there's lots of little heated situations. Some of these are big raging fires. Others of them are a little bit. And we say things like, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. And, and so maybe it was a fire over Christmas when your family gathered together and you thought, ooh, I'd rather not right now. Or maybe there's a situation at work that you've been avoiding or a situation in your family that, that always seems to be burning and we find a way to just try to avoid it. And then, of course, sometimes fires are forced upon us, and, and, and we find ourselves feeling like we are surrounded by the fire and wondering, how do we get outside of this? Now, for, for this story and for our lives, one of the things I want us to know is that the fire is a place where the enemy wants to ruin you, but God wants to remake you. All right, so the fire is any place where the enemy wants to ruin you, wants to consume you, wants to take advantage of you at your weakest, but God has the ability to use the fire to remake, to remold, and to reform you. And this is really a great story in so many ways as we look at the story of, of in the book of Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Daniel in the Old Testament is a really strange book of the Bible. The last half of it is really weird. There's a lot of stuff that's similar to Revelation that's very confusing. But we're going to talk about the first half of it that really deals with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. So a little bit of context as to where we are in the story. Now, the Israelites, God's chosen people... All right, um, they are, they have been taken over by Babylon. And so they are sort of strangers living in a strange world. Maybe you felt like that, that, that something in your life has been taken over and all of a sudden the world that you were used to is no longer the same and you're having to adjust to that reality, that this is not the same world that it used to be. And so here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel are selected because of a few things. And so what it says at the beginning is that they were looking for some strong Israelites. Daniel 1.4 says, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. And so um, here, the king wanted some Israelites to be raised up, wanted this extra wisdom and this extra perspective and insight. But God was with them in the midst of it, and they chose to continue to be faithful to God, and God continued to bless Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in 117, we hear these words, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And so God was with these four. Now we see in Daniel chapter 2 that he was particularly with Daniel because he gave him the gift of interpreting dreams. Have you ever had a dream that you wish somebody would interpret, right? Like, what does this mean? Maybe nothing, all right? Um, I've never had that, that gift, but it sure would be good to pretend like I did, right? Just somebody said, what does this dream mean? And then I just come up with something, right? That people think, ah, yes. 
But Daniel had this gift from God. And so the king had this dream. He didn't know what it meant. And so he went to all of his wise people and said, okay, what does this dream mean? And nobody had an answer. He was about to kill every one of those wise people. But Daniel listened to God and he got an interpretation and he shared that with King Nebuchadnezzar. And that meant a lot to the king. And this is what it says here at the end of chapter 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Now Nebuchadnezzar is such an interesting character for me um, because he is really like all of us, all right, that there are some moments in which he's just sort of all about himself. And then there are other moments in which he sees something amazing, but he doesn't quite respond in the right way. Did, did you notice what it said that King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him? And sometimes that's what I can do in my own life. I see somebody, I hear something, and I throw myself down before a person to worship them. But then he also said, truly, your God is the greatest of gods. And so what we see here is a very confused King Nebuchadnezzar. Who's got power? Is it himself? Is he really the king? Is it Daniel, the one who can interpret dreams? Or is it the God of gods, the Lord over kings, the revealer of mysteries? And I think that probably all of us find ourselves in a place like Nebuchadnezzar at different points in time. There are times we are like, God, you're wonderful. But then we are also like, maybe this person is it. Or maybe, maybe I'm still king. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar, in the beginning of chapter 3, right after he says these words in our story, it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The king of kings, let me build a statue and let me worship this idol. And he wanted everybody to bow down and worship this idol. Idol. And so when the music played, and for some reason they kept listing all these instruments of all the various ways that the music was played. And so whenever these instruments were to be played, then everybody was supposed to bow down and worship God. Not, not worship God, worship this gold statue. And so what happened was the music played, everybody bowed down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, imagine that you're in this environment with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all these Babylonians. You can imagine they weren't real happy with the outsiders of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You you, you can only imagine that they they wanted to be the wise ones. They wanted to be the leaders. How dare these outsiders take their place? I remember when, when I was in high school, my senior year, we got a new football coach, which was, which was good, but we got a new quarterback, which was better, all right? Our football coach, his name was Ron Smith, but his son's name was Paul Smith, and, uh, and Paul was a, a really good quarterback. But when he first came in, we all were pretty suspicious of him. Or is he just going to start because he's the coach's son? What about Michael Bippus? This was, a, this was a guy who was in the same class, who was the starting quarterback in 7th grade, in 8th grade, in ninth grade, in 10th grade. And now Paul's going to come in. He's an outsider. Does he earn it? A few touchdowns in, he did, right? A few touchdown passes, and we're thinking, oh, he's one of us. 
But we're always suspicious of these outsiders who come in. And so they did exactly what you would expect them to do. Look and, and look for somebody to make a mistake. And so when they saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bow down and worship, they responded like a bunch of five-year-olds and they went and tattled on them. And they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, these people who are supposed to bow down and worship you, they didn't do it. Well, we do that sometimes too, right? These people are supposed to be Christians, but they're not. King, do something. And so he brings them in. He flew into a rage, and they, he brought them before him. He was going to give them a second chance, which was quite generous, actually, for the king. And he said these words, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And then what God can do this? I'm the king. I'm the most powerful. Who can save you if you don't bow down to me? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. That had to make him feel good. If we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now, it doesn't tell us in this version how they said that last, your majesty. I imagine it a little sassy, a little sarcastic, but maybe it was super respectful. Maybe it was a way in which they said, we still honor you as king. You're still the ruler of this place. You still have authority and power but you're no God. He will rescue us from the power. This did not make King Nebuchadnezzar happy at all, and he ordered them to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And he had it turned up seven times its heat. It was hot in there. It was so hot that the scripture says that those they, they had them bound up. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound up and tied up, and they were thrown into the fire. But those soldiers who threw them into the fire were burnt to a crisp. I don't think it says burnt to a crisp in the scripture, but that's basically what happened. So you know that this wasn't some fake fire, this wasn't some other story, that the fire was real. And so with the charred body on the side of the furnace, they looked in and Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Didn't we only throw three in? I mean, listen, he sees fourth. There's another person in there. They're all unbound, and they're walking around in the fire. I mean, what an extraordinary image to be able to see, as, the, as it's probably hard to even see, as the fire is so bright. To see these four people walking around unharmed. And so he orders them to, to be pulled out. And it said that not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. And they didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, just amazing. Because I think of, like, it doesn't take but like two minutes near a campfire. And you smell like smoke for a long time, right? To be thrown into the hottest of blazes. 
and to not smell like smoke? What is this? Now, there's so much to me in this story that I could say, and, and sometimes as a sermon, I just want you to hear one thing, but I just feel like the, the Lord's going to give you what you need today. And so part of it, I, I want us to realize is that, is that fire is a dangerous thing, and that the fire that we want to avoid, it can consume you, and it can burn you, is that we have all experienced being burned in a fire of some sort. And the nature of fire is that it needs to be respected. I remember a few years ago when uh, we went out with some friends out to a, a cabin in Broken Bow, and uh, um, there was a fire pit there. And uh, our boys and their boys just loved the fire pit, throwing anything they could into the fire. And we wanted to make sure that, one, they had fun with fire because, you know, that's fun, but also that fire should be respected and that you have to be careful and that it can be a very dangerous thing. And the fires in our lives can be very dangerous. And that they can consume us, especially if we go through it alone. I wonder if he had pulled Shadrach in one room, Meshach in another, and Abednego in another, if they would have all said the same thing. But so often we may try to do fires alone because we're embarrassed or we're ashamed or something. But that's not how it's designed to be. Fires can consume us, especially when we're alone. So we need to be aware of them. But also, we have to understand that the fire can reform. It can remake it can help us to be able to experience goodness in a whole new way because God can take the fire and use it for good. Now, this summer, our family, we went to Seattle on a family vacation. We went to the Cholule Museum of Glass Blowing um, up there. And I, I know he's got a big exhibition here at our Oklahoma City Museum of Art, but it was just amazing to see kind of the various different works that were, were done um, here, all these different beautiful things that, that, that he made and the other people made just blowing glass. How in the world do you make something that looks like that? And so one of my favorite parts of our whole trip is that there was a, a glass blowing exhibition in which they sort of taught us how they make these various different things. And so it was, it was interesting because glass is really just dust. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? From dust we begin, and to dust we should return. Glass is just dust that when heated up and melted can become all sorts of things. And so what they would do is they'd take this dust and they'd, they'd put it into this blazing hot fire. And in this blazing hot fire, they, it would turn into a liquid that can be molded. And this is how it is, right? That, that, that in these fires, all right, we can be molded. And so they would, they would put it in there and then they would take it out and they had this special tube and they would blow into it air that would give it formation, the breath of life being formed and blown into each of us. And then they would, they would sometimes roll it on a, on a table to help get it formed, all right, but then they would stick it back into the fire. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've been pulled out of the fire, I don't want to be stuck back in. But sometimes this is what God needs to do because the first time it didn't finish what was being created, he has to stick it back in there, get it hot, and blow air and breath into us again. And that God can take these other little pieces and these colors and these other images and he can take dust and he can make it beautiful. He makes beautiful things out of dust and he makes beautiful things out of us. And he can take this fire and use it to reform you. Now, sometimes I believe that we're thrown into fires, but other times I believe God lovingly puts us into fires 
so that he can reform and remake and remold us. No matter what the fire is, God can use it. And God wants to use it. And so if you find yourself in a fire right now, you can trust that God is blowing the breath of life into you. And he is breathing his spirit of goodness in there. Beauty from ashes. Even more beautiful than the best art we can see, he can do with you. Now, one of the things I think is really important for us to understand, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I want to dwell with this just for a little bit, is about what it is that God wants us to do and become. So a few years ago, I was an associate pastor at a church in Tulsa, and I asked my, um, my pastor at the time, his name was Wade, and I said, Wade, do you think that when God created Aaron Tiger that he created me to be the associate pastor at this church when I was, I think I was 28, 29 years old at the time? Do you think that was God's plan for my life? And he said these words. He said, Aaron, I think God cares a lot more about who we become than what we do. And I think that so often we are consumed with what we do, with achieving this goal of uh, I, I want to have a house, I want to have uh, the right cars, I want to have the right family experiences. If I have all these things and these experiences, then I've had the life. But really the purpose of life is not what we do. The purpose of life is about who we become and about who we become, about who God creates us and calls us to be. That's what life's about. Not what we have, but who we are. And so when I can wrap my mind around God using these things, these fires to form me into who he wants me to become, then I'm able to walk through the fire in a better way. But so often, you and I, were so anxious to get out of the fire that we miss what God wants to do in and through the fire. We want to just escape the fire, to get out of it. It's hot I mean, I'm sure at least Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to be sweating or something. Maybe they were thirsty at the end, right? Something. We want to get out of the fire. God wants to use it to mold us and transform us. And so allow God to meet you in the midst of it. Can you, in the midst of the fire, look to see if God is there? I mean, that's one of the great lessons of this text, is that God is with us in the fire. There is another in the fire. Jesus was with them, and he's with you. And even if you don't recognize it, even if you don't see it, God is there. Now, some of you, when I was going through the story, you thought, Aaron, you skipped a part. Some of you are like, what did he skip now? I'm supposed to remember. Daniel 3.18, profound word of Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talking to Nebuchadnezzar said, he will rescue us from your power. But they go on and say, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Even if he doesn't save us, we will never turn to your gods. Even if God does not answer our prayers, we will not turn. And I really think that for you and I, we need to have an even if he doesn't faith. Now, this is a really, really, really difficult and challenging faith to have. Because, again, we have urgent prayer requests that we want answers to. 
And that oftentimes we are tempted to believe that God is only as good as our most recent urgent prayer request. That God, if you're really good and if you're really loving and if you're really holy, you'll take this pain away. God, if you're really good, you'll just solve this problem. God, if you're really good, my friend, my loved one will live. God, if you're really good, this situation, whatever this is, will be okay. Just do something, God. I remember preaching something similar to this one time, and there was a a woman who had come up, and she had recently got a a diagnosis in her own life, and she was just looking at the prospect of, of the rest of her life dealing with this, and she said, Aaron, I've been really struggling with who God is as I have to deal with this. And so she's like, it's really hard because I want to believe he's good, but it's hard to believe sometimes. And so if you're in this position where you're thinking, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't resolve this, even if he doesn't heal this, can I still be okay with God? And I think the answer has to be yes. Now, one is, is that you can be angry with God. I want to make sure people understand this and know this. I have heard more than a a few people who have come to me and said, Aaron, some of my most transformative prayers have been when I've been on a walk or been driving in my car, or alone at the house, and I just yelled at God. God is big enough to handle your anger. You can't say any words he's never heard before. And it is okay that we can express our displeasure. It's actually biblical to lament. As we read through our psalms, as we're doing our scripture reading throughout the year, you're going to see a number of psalms of lament that remind us and tell us that it's okay to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Now, all of those psalms of lament, they end with some words like this, words of hope and trust, but even yet I will trust, and even yet I will hope. And what we have to see that in this world we will have trouble, and that because we say I've decided to follow Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus himself had an even if he doesn't faith. Because on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he prayed in the garden Father, if it is possible, if there's any other way to do this, if there's any other way to rescue and save the world, can we do it that way? But not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. I've prayed that prayer to God quite a bit. Not your will, Lord, but mine be done. But it's supposed to be the other way. And so our Savior, who we say, I follow you, Jesus, died on the cross. Jesus, God could have rescued him. But he used the fire of the cross to redeem the world. The disciples of Jesus followed him to death. Eleven of the twelve were martyred for their faith. We know that troubles follow people who follow Jesus. And so we will have troubles. And we won't always get the answer we're looking for. And that's just awful. But that doesn't mean God's awful. Because God uses the fires to remold us and to form us into who we are called to be. And so God does not waste a tear. He does not waste an experience. If we allow him, he is continually transforming and remaking us. Now, one of our uh, more popular scriptures to post on Instagram or to make a sign on or for Tim Tebow to have on his eye black is Philippians 4.13. We like this one. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You may have that one memorized already. I can do all, all this through him who gives me strength. It's a very encouraging one. And I mean, again, I just, this is what I hope the 49ers do tonight, right? That they believe that they can beat the Rams through Christ who strengthens me. But that's totally the wrong way to read this verse. This is not about I have a goal and God's going to help me reach the goal. We actually have to read Philippians 4.12 to understand Philippians 4.13. Because it's not about us accomplishing our goals or overcoming our obstacles. What this is, is something different. Paul writes these words, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I've learned the secret to be content in the fire or out of the fire. In the midst of the worst week of your year or when life is good, when you're hungry or when you're well-fed. God is with you, and you can make it through because you are not alone. There's another in the fire. There's another who is with you, and he has the ability not just to protect you in extraordinary ways, even so you don't smell like smoke, but he has the ability to remake and remold you. And so I want to just have a little time of prayer, and then um, we're going to just hear these words wash over us. There's another in the fire. And I just want you to just feel the goodness of God as it meets us here. So let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 830 and 1050 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.